0: Well, one way we adore the Lord is by turning to his word. Join me in Romans chapter five this morning. Romans chapter five. There are other books in the Bible other than the book of John, if you're not aware. <laughs> and we are stepping out of John's gospel for this week. Thought I'd give a reprieve from studying the worldly hatred that Jesus promises his people on this Thanksgiving week. But a reprieve, uh, again, moving from satanic hate, but really in John 5, focusing on the triune God's love for his own. The love that is far more enduring than any hatred we might expect from this world, experience from this world. Love that is far greater than the worst forms of hate that the world could give and threaten us with. Be looking at verses 6 through 11, but we're going to start in verse 3 because what we see here is that divine love, we'll relate it back to John 15. Divine love actually energizes our faithfulness to our Lord. The love that God has for us ignites thankfulness to Him. This Trinitarian love causes a perseverance in this world of hate and undergirds our joy and our hope as we live in this evil world system. Notice this connection that Paul makes, starting in verse three. Notice what Paul says, we exalt, we boast, we rejoice, we give thanks, but what follows is completely unexpected here. Why are we giving thanks in this chapter? In what context? We exalt in our tribulations. That's John 16. Jesus promises that there will be tribulation, pressure in this world to give up our commitment to Christ. We exalt in our tribulations. How is this possible? Well, because we know something. We know the sovereignty of God over our tribulations, and we know his love for us, knowing, continue it, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. So, the worst this world can do to us is make us even more faithful for our Lord. And perseverance, proven character. And proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint. This is the chain of faithfulness now in the midst of struggle and heartache, in the midst of those pressures from this world. And Paul says, we will endure. The true believer endures through all of this. Why? Notice, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. I'll say it again. The love of God is far greater and the love of God is far more enduring than any hatred we might experience from this world. It is the love of God that stabilizes our faithfulness to him. And thus, out of all the glorious attributes that we could highlight about our God, there is none that can motivate our perseverance and energize our joy and our thanksgiving more than the special and eternal love God has for us. Think of Exodus chapter 20. Exodus 20 God shows loving kindness to thousands. Think of 1 John 4, God is love. Love is that essential quality of God's person. 2 Corinthians 13, God is described as the God of love. Love characterizes his nature, permeates all of who he is. Now, we can read those texts, but the Bible goes beyond that even. Not only does God have a love for his people, but more than that, God has an abundant love for his people, an overflowing, never-ending love for his people. Think of Exodus 34. Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, the Lord The Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. Or Psalm 103, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding, brimming to the rim and then overflowing in loving kindness. This is the great wonder of God's love. For all who come, to the Father through Christ in saving faith, this triune God has a love that is specific and unique and saving and sanctifying and unwavering and redeeming and persevering and eternal for his own. God has a general love, God loves the world that is true But this triune God is like a husband who has an exclusive love for his bride. Like a father who has a unique love for his children. This is an overflow from his inter-Trinitarian love, each member now overflowing to us, his people. Think of Ephesians 1. In love we are told, in love he... The Father predestined us. Speaking of believers, this is special, this is unique. He predestined us to adoption. This is an electing love. This is a sending of the Son love, a sealing by the Spirit love. In that text, we're told that this love dates back into even eternity past. Ephesians 5, Christ now, the Son, Trinitarian love. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Again, a unique love, a dying love, a sacrificing love now that Christ has for his bride. So as we think of the love of God, we need to understand that God does not possess only one kind of love, just a general love. God's love is multifaceted. It finds different expressions depending on the recipient. And for the true believer, God, again, has this special love, a love for his own. And outside of his love for himself, this love he has for us is the deepest expression of his love we're entering into Thanksgiving week, we can give thanks for the redeeming love of our God. That's what I wanna do together here. I want to rejoice together this morning, focus our attention on this special love. Again, love that is far greater than what we've looked at for the last few weeks, far greater than the hatred from this world. It's love described in Romans 5. Start in verse six, read the text with me. For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Just stop there. Let's contrast this with what Jesus says in John 15. On one side, there is the evil world system that wants to take our life. But here's the greater love now. This is a love that sacrifices life for us. Verse seven, for one will hardly die for a righteous man Though perhaps, for the good man, someone would dare even to die, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more. So here's the blessings of love. They continue and overflow. Much more. Having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. See the key phrase? It's verse 8 but God demonstrates his love toward us. It's the point of verses six through 11. This is God sustaining his supernatural, his sacrificing, his sending, his sealing love that comes into action, into focus. It's humbling. This is how one author describes God's love. God's love is his self-giving affection for his image-bearing creatures and his unselfish concern for their well-being that leads him to act on their behalf and for their happiness and welfare. It's an amazing statement. This is the eternal God, holy, holy, holy. And yet he has a self-giving affection for us. He has an unselfish concern for us. Look back at verse five. God's love is such that it has been poured out. This is a lavish pouring now. This is an unending fountain of love. God does not pour out his love in measurable drops upon his children. No, he floods us with his love in gushing currents, so much so that he's poured out his love within our hearts. And notice now, through the Holy Spirit, God gives himself to us in love through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. Again, this is Trinitarian love that God has for his people. The Father pours out his love by sending the Spirit and sending the Son. The Son in love dies. We'll see also he'll resurrect in love for us. And then here in verse five, the Holy Spirit in love indwells us and seals us. And amazingly, the Spirit then unites us to the Son of the Father's love, unites us to Christ so that God's love for us, the Father's love for us, is the same love he has for his Son. That's how united we are to the Son. It's amazing, amazing love, how can it be? It's how special this love is. You cannot get any greater or higher or deeper love than this. So again, let's rejoice together. Let's look at four reasons we can give thanks today and every day. Four reasons why we can rejoice. Let's relate it back to John 15. Four reasons why God's love for us is far greater than even the worst forms of hate we will experience from this world. Four reasons, let's begin with the first. Rejoice today. Verse six, rejoice because God loves us with an unexpected love. God loves us with an unexpected love. Everything in this passage gives us reasons for why God should not love us. So Paul's highlighting. God should not have love upon us, his people. We see this start in verse six. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. So this is now the language of grace we talk about grace often, we usually talk about it as unmerited favor toward the sinner. That is true. It is unmerited towards uh, favor towards the sinner. But more than that, more than that, theologically speaking, grace refers to demerited favor towards God's people. What do I mean by that? I mean this: in love, God gives us the very opposite of what we deserve. It's not just unmerited. It's demerited. We deserve wrath and anger. He gives us love and grace and mercy. So everything here is unexpected. Start at the end of the verse, at the right time, Christ died. This is our redemption now, it necessitated God taking action. The Father did not wait for us to ask for this redemption at the right time is bringing us back to the eternal mind of God, his eternal purposes. It brings us back to his eternal love. Ephesians 1, the father chose us in his son when before the foundation of the world in that choice in love, he predestined us. The reason why our thanksgiving and our joy can transcend every temporal circumstance is because God's special love for us transcends all time. And thus, in accordance with that eternal love, verse six, at the right time, God moves, the time of our greatest need, the time when nothing but sacrificial death would accomplish salvation from sin father lovingly takes action he sends the son of his love and he sends him who comes willingly to the point of death even death on a cross the point here is that god's love is no afterthought for us sacrifice for sin christ's death all of that love lovingly planned out in eternity past lovingly executed at the right time, perfect time. Notice another phrase that points to God's grace here, this unexpected nature of God's love for us. Is that the beginning of the verse? Notice, while we were still helpless, Christ died. Helpless, without strength, feeble. Same word used to describe the sick man in, you guessed it, the gospel of John, right? John chapter five. You know the story. The man's ill for 38 years. He's lying on his mat. He's unable to pick himself up and enter the pool to be healed. Bring this image into the spiritual realm. It's used in that way in verse six. Helpless refers to moral frailty, inability, inability we once possessed, Before God moves, we were that lame man lying on our mats. Unable to bring ourselves to God, helpless to escape eternal death. Powerless to break Satan's grip, unable to please God in any way. We were destined for eternity apart from God's joy and love. And yet in love, God acts. Acts. He moves, the father chooses, the son is sent. Continue verse six, and in grace, Christ died for in the place of, notice this next phrase, the ungodly, the ungodly. This now points again to the unexpected nature of God's special redeeming love for us. Not only did God pour out his saving love on us when we were powerless to draw ourselves to him, but now Paul says that God did this when we were deserving of only his wrath. We were the ungodly. What does that mean? We were the wicked, the rebellious, the unholy, the profane. You think, I wasn't that bad. Well, 1 Timothy 1 9 uses the same word to describe those who kill fathers and mothers, murderers, immoral men, homosexuals, kidnappers, liars, perjurers. And though we might not have committed all of those specific sins, understand this. When Paul says that we were the ungodly, that was the darkness of our heart. The seeds, the seeds of each of those sins were within us. And so everything in this passage points to why God shouldn't have poured out his love on us. We were incapable of doing anything good in his eyes. We were the helpless. We were the rebellious, the wicked, the ungodly. We were harboring every seed of sin on the inside. And yet even in that state, that state, God chose to love you. Be amazed at that. And he chose to love us in the greatest possible way. Again, he sent the son of his love and the son dies in spite of our sin and for our sin, in spite of our rebellion. Here's the application of this unexpected love. For one, for one, why would we ever court the love from this world? We've been given the greatest love. Why would you ever court the love from this world? The world's love is fickle. It's based on sin based on what we can do for it. It's the temptation, again, John 15, that's the temptation, court the love from the world, be accepted by them. Why would we ever do that? But second, this unexpected graciousness of God here, it also points to the security of his love for us. The security of his love for us, because this divine love was never deserved and yet was given, then it will never be taken away from us. Why would God take it away? He gave it undeserved. We're gonna see that at the end of the passage as well. So we can give thanks. We can understand why John would write, 1 John 3, this is just praise. It says, see, behold, be amazed at this. This is an outburst of wonder. Consider this. How great, literally, see from what country, this is alien love, out of this world love. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we, the ungodly, the rebellious, the unholy, the undeserving, the helpless, that we would be called what? Loved beloved children of God. That's who we are. It's the first reason we can rejoice, first reason we can give thanks for God's redeeming love. It's totally undeserved, entirely unexpected. It's all of grace from the loving hand of God. And thus, because, again, because it was never earned, it will never be taken away. Let's look at verse seven. It's another reason we can rejoice together. Not only today, but every day. Yes, God's love is unexpected, but also now God loves us with an incomprehensible love, unexpected and incomprehensible. Notice the illustration Paul draws in verse seven. For one will hardly die for a righteous man. Though perhaps for a good man, someone would dare even to die. So there's an illustration of love. The height of human worldly temporal love is the sacrifice of one's own life. It's the height of love. We know that life is precious. The yearning to live is strong. So Paul draws on that and he shows that though self-sacrifice is the height of human love. It's rare, it is rare to find that kind of human love. Notice again, verse seven, for one will hardly die for a righteous man. It's rare. Perhaps for a good man, someone might die. It's uncommon for a person to sacrifice his own life for someone of high character. It's uncommon. But verse eight, now the contrast from the pinnacle of human, worldly love to now God's love, but God demonstrates a love for us. God puts on display. This is in the present tense. He's continually demonstrating this love. We can continually see it. Love not only when Christ hung on the cross, but even now, as the Father through the Spirit still lovingly delivers sinners from sin. We'll continually see it even into eternity as we worship the Lamb who was slain. Here is God continually demonstrating, verse eight, his own incomprehensible love toward us how incomprehensible in that while we were still sinners. So we're moving from the helpless, from the ungodly in verse six. Now we're described as sinners, those who live in conscious opposition to God's will. That was in our hearts. In fact, verse 10 even refers to us as enemies, those who hate God and fight against him, far away from the righteous and good person that someone might die for. And yet despite that condition, again, the end of verse eight, Christ died for us. It's the love of the son. This is no ordinary love. There is no love that is comparable to this love in this world. This is love found only in the one true and living God. And please note here, this is key, note, Christ did not die to make his Father love us. Christ died because the Father loved us. It's the greatness of this love. So let's draw some application here. Well, listen to A.W. Pink. It's a great application. He writes this, Calvary is the supreme demonstration of divine love. Calvary is the supreme demonstration of divine love. And so what is the application then? Here it is, whenever you are tempted to doubt the love of God, for whatever reason, maybe you think of your sin, I've sinned too much, even after salvation, for God to love me, or I failed God too many times, Or perhaps you're thinking God doesn't love me because he said no to my prayers. I've prayed fervently, yet no answer. Or maybe you're thinking because of the pressures of this world, how could God love me and still put me in that pressure? Whatever the thought, if you ever doubt the love of God, here's what Pink says, Christian reader, go back to Calvary. Go back to the cross. Because it was at Calvary that the Father saw his enemies in a powerless, wicked condition, and he was not moved by the loveliness of the sinner. No, he was moved by his inherent love to give himself to those in desperate need. And thus, in love for us, he poured out his wrath not on us who deserved it. Again, demerited favor. In love for us, he pours out his wrath upon his sinless son who deserved none of it. None of it. If you ever doubt God's love for you, go back. Calvary, it is the greatest demonstration of God's love for his people. Who can fathom this kind of love? It's incomprehensible. It's far greater than what we can ever imagine. This is why Paul prays. Ephesians 3, here's Paul's prayer. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. And here's my prayer I'm offering that you being rooted and grounded in love. We've experienced God's sending love, the Son sacrificing love, the Spirit sealing love. We're rooted and grounded in love. And here's my prayer, Paul says, that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height. It's love that reaches into the heavens and depth Love that tunnels into the depths of the unknown. To comprehend this love and to know the love of Christ. And then Paul adds this, which surpasses knowledge. So here's what I'm praying for I'm praying for that you're going to comprehend love that you can't comprehend. That's Paul's prayer. We can't comprehend this, it's beyond our imagination just think about this divine love. This is love that sacrifices Christ here. Christ is sacrificing a face to face relationship with the Father to come for us. We can't fathom that. This is a heavenly love that incarnated itself in the frailty of created man. And we can't grasp that kind of love. And then here in chapter five of Romans, we read that this is an eternal love, a love that shows death, a love that shows suffering and wrath for the sake of unworthy sinners. Who can fathom this? Again, to quote Pink, whenever you are tempted to doubt the love of God, go back to Calvary. Ephesians 3:8, Paul calls Christ's love the unfathomable, limitless riches of Christ. I'll put it in the words of my favorite hymn. Don't cross-stitch this for me. Somebody's already done that ten years ago. I said something about this being my favorite hymn, and I have a cross-stitch of it, so I already got that. But you can bring me a key lime pie, that's fine, and write it on it. I'm good. Here's my favorite hymn. Fits so perfect, were we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made, were every stock on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade. To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. It's so true. Why can we give thanks? Why can we give thanks in the context of John 15 with the world hating us? Because we have the greatest and deepest love imaginable, beyond imagination. We've been granted God's love, not only unexpected love, but here incomprehensible love. Leads into verse nine, verse nine. Here's another reason we can rejoice together We can rejoice because God loves us with a preserving love, a preserving love. Again, how wonderful this promise is in light of Jesus's warning over the last few weeks. Read verse nine, much more than having now been justified by his blood, referring to the cross, the cross being the love of Christ, have been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. So notice the progression here. Paul says in love, we've been justified. Theological word, we've been declared righteous based upon Christ's perfect life. Been declared righteous. It's the initial act of salvation through faith. Declared righteous. Christ's righteousness credited to our account so that when God looks at us, he sees his own son. We're placed, united into Christ. The father sees the son. It's an act of love. But that's not where Paul ends here. That's the first half of verse nine. Notice the second half of the verse. God's love continues from justification now to our glorification. The promise is we shall be saved, future tense. Saved in the fullest sense. Saved not only from the penalty of sin, that's justification, but now saved from God's eternal wrath, that's future. This takes the redeeming, special, unique love that God has for us, again, brings it into eternity future. Future. That is to say this, God's saving love perseveres his children forever. It will never be lost. If God has in love, first half of the verse, if God has in love justified you, then the second half of the verse is also true. Then God will in love glorify you one day. That's why Paul follows up in verse 10. For if while we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved, and notice this next phrase, by his life. That's resurrection. So Christ lives a perfect life on our behalf because of his love for us. Christ goes to the cross as our substitute because of his love for us. But now here in verse 10, he resurrects from the dead because of his love for us. Again, the point is this, the application is this, if Christ did not withdraw his love from us while approaching death, if Christ did not withdraw his love from us while hanging on the cross, when his body was buried, Do you think he is going to withdraw his love from us now that he's alive forevermore? Why would he do that? It's the logic behind what Paul is saying here. The point is security. Security of the triune love that God has for his people. Eternity past, God chooses, the Father chooses in love. Justification, he forgives and justifies in love. And now in love, God secures his own forever. That's the promise. And notice those two phrases in verses nine and 10. Much more, notice the phrase, much more we shall be saved from the wrath of God. Verse 10, middle, much more we shall be saved by his life. Paul's moving from the greater to the lesser. Through the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, God has done the more difficult thing. The more difficult thing. He reconciled his enemies. That word enemies there, it's a strong word. It's not someone who comes a little short of being a friend. This is not an acquaintance. This is someone in the opposite camp as God, as God and at war with God. That's the enemy of God. That was us, hostile. We were a child of Satan. He hated everything about God, his righteousness, his holiness. And so that was the more difficult task. the Holy God reconciling his enemies to himself. Yet the triune God did that. Therefore, Paul says, how much more will God's saving love keep us redeemed? How much more now that we are at peace with God, we're no longer his enemy. Now that God is our father, not our foe. Now that our dying Savior is alive and interceding on our behalf. Connect it with verse... Five, now that the Spirit has been sent into our hearts to seal us, how much more will we be saved in love forever? It's the glory of God's faithfulness. Having paid so great a price to redeem His own, He will not allow this salvation to fall short. And again, this application, the application is profound here. Yes, the world will hate us, but we do not need to fear any form of this hate against us. We do not need to fear any of it. Why? Because glory is our future. It's guaranteed, it's guaranteed. Turn a few pages to Romans eight. This is the application that Paul draws out. It'll be on the screen as well can start in verse 31. Paul says, if God is for us, if God is for us in love, the question is, who is against us? Who could possibly stand against us? The answer is no one. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. Again, the supreme act of love to which Paul then makes this application based upon that giving eternal sending love. Here's the application, verse 32. How will he not also with him through the resurrected son freely give us all things? How will he not keep us into eternity? Again, moving from the greater to the lesser which Paul then adds, verse 34, strengthening all of this. Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, but he didn't stay dead, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. So why will God never withdraw his love from us, not only because Christ died for us, removing all condemnation, But now Paul says, God will never withdraw his love from us because Jesus is right now interceding for us in love at the Father's right hand. Therefore, verse 35, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Who could possibly do that? Answer, no one, nothing. Nothing. Why? For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, and in case I missed anything here, I'm going to add nor any other created thing. There's nothing, nothing, no one whatsoever will be able to separate us from, notice the next phrase, the love of God. Nothing. The love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord, there's our confidence. That's what energizes our faithfulness. That's our hope. God loses none of his justified children, none. God's saving love endures into eternity. His love, his unique special love for us is a preserving love, A preserving love. Let's finish with reason number four. Why can we give thanks together, rejoice together? We can rejoice because God loves us with an incalculable love, an incalculable love. Back to chapter five. Here's how this section concludes, verse 11. And not only is this so, put in common vernacular, it even gets better. Everything that we looked at, it even gets better now. Not only is this so, but notice we also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we, here's the key, because of his love, we have now received the reconciliation. So now it gets very personal, very personal, Reconciliation, the heart of all gospel blessings, the greatest of all gospel joys here. To be reconciled, you have enmity removed. You have restoration of fellowship. We now are at fellowship with our creator, with the triune God. And this is the greatest blessing of the gospel It is the greatest gift of God's love because, and I'm gonna quote Piper here, because this reconciliation gives us the right to approach God and be granted the pleasure of his presence forever. Fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. It all leads up to this point. We are with God, at fellowship with Him, reconciled. Notice again, verse 11. This is a reconciliation that is not reserved for the future. Verse 11, we exalt in God because we have now, this is a gift now, an experience now. We have now received the reconciliation, fellowship with our God, the God who never changes fellowship with the God who always satisfies, the God who is truthful in all of his ways, the God who never fails to accomplish his good pleasure. We have been reconciled to the God who preserves his children forever. Why would we ever want to win the love from this world? And thus the application then of this Trinitarian love. For one, we give thanks. We give thanks. First Chronicles 16, oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Psalm 107, eight, give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness. We give thanks, overflowing thankfulness. But two, we also give praise. We also give praise, Psalm 63, three, because your loving kindness is better than life. Can we confess that to be true? Your loving kindness is better than my life. Because that is true, my lips will praise you. And so we give thanks, we give praise, we remain faithful, in this evil world system, all because of the unexpected, incomprehensible, preserving and incalculable love. Look at verse five, that has been poured out to the point of overflowing, poured out within our hearts, abundance to the Holy Spirit who has given to us. Father, I pray indeed that our hearts would be filled with thanksgiving today. And praise, I thank you for this time of year that we can offer praise to you. And we certainly can give thanks to you for the temporal blessings you have been gracious to give to us. But Lord, our thankfulness goes far beyond any of that. Our thankfulness is because of these eternal gifts and this eternal love Lord, take away any doubt that someone might here have regarding your love for them if they've come to you through Christ in faith. Lord, give us a faithfulness energized by this love. Let us cherish your love than any love this world might offer us. Let us give thanks unto you. Pray this in Christ's name, amen.